strengthen local level women's leadership for policy change. Evidence from Indonesia was presented at the 2019 Australasian Aid Conference by key partners of the Australia-Indonesia Partnership for Women's Empowerment and Gender Equality. Listen on to hear representatives of Indonesian civil society organisations that champion women's change discuss their strategies and approaches and the role of aid. Good morning and welcome to this session. Um, let me start by acknowledging and celebrating the first Australians on whose traditional lands we meet, the Ngunnawal people, and pay respect to their elders, uh, past, present and emerging. Um, welcome to the session on strengthening local level women's leadership for policy change, evidence from Indonesia. And I should start by um, saying that Amy Haddad sends her apologies um, and has asked me to chair this panel in, on her behalf. Um, she is unable to come, not because of the early hour, the eight o'clock. Um, thank you for all of you who are here, um, uh, but because she just has too many deadlines this week. Um, there's a fair few things going on in politics this week, of course, as you would probably have heard throughout the conference. Um, so my name is Anna-Marie Rehring. I work very closely with Amy. I'm the senior gender specialist in DFAT's gender equality branch. And I'm very delighted to be here this morning and to have the chance to introduce this wonderful panel and to say a few words about um, our eight programs work on women's empowerment, specifically the women's leadership um, activities that are being undertaken through our program, MAMPU, which is officially known as the Australia-Indonesia Partnership for Gender Equality and Women's Empowerment. We will be referring to it, though, as MAMPU. Um, so just to briefly introduce the panel members and to provide some background on MAMPU. So starting on the far right from my side is Kate Shanahan, who is the team leader of MAMPU, who has been the team leader for the last 18 months, but um, before that was also quite closely engaged in the design of the program, um, which started in 2012. It's an eight-year running program. Um, and then we have Ibo Nani, uh, Zulminani, who's the founder and director of the PECA program, which is a program that is active in 20 out of the 34 provinces across Indonesia and works to empower female-headed households. It works with about 60,000 members who are women heads of household. And that is a quite amazing coverage, um, even in a large country like Indonesia. And then on my right is Ibu Dina Luwantobing, who is the coordinator for the Permampu Consortium in Sumatra. And this is a consortium of eight NGOs that are dedicated to strengthening grassroots women's leadership and protecting women's rights on sexual and reproductive health. Uh, all three of our panelists uh, between them have many decades of experience on working on gender equality and women's empowerment issues in Indonesia. Um, and they have been widely recognized for their achievements, um, their contributions as activists and as thinkers uh, and as teachers and trainers. Uh, so we're really grateful for having the opportunity to hear their insights. Now, just brief, briefly on MAMPU, um, and this is, of course, a bit of the DFAT perspective, um, but you'll hear the perspective from the ground and from those who are quite intimately involved in a moment. Uh, so... Our preeminent uh, foreign policy um, strategy document, the foreign policy white paper of um, 2017, um, really um, 
underscores the importance um, of enhancing gender equality and women's empowerment to global prosperity, security, and stability. And it um, is very much in line with all the other um, strategy documents of the Australian Aid Programme, and especially, of course, our um, Gender Equality and Women's Empowerment Strategy of 2016. Um, that strategy outlines three core priorities that guide our work on gender equality, and they are enhancing women's voice in decision-making, leadership and peace-building, promoting women's economic empowerment, and ending violence against women and girls. Use this one. Are we going here? I'm going to skip straight away to this one. So here you have these three priority areas that guide our work. But more importantly, in the strategy, we outline how we'd like to uh, work in the region to achieve our aims and to contribute to gender equality. Um, and MAMPU is, is quite a unique program in that it um, touches on all three of our priority areas in our strategy and on many of these um, preferred strategies that we'd like to employ. So it's, it's really, um, for us, quite an important program to demonstrate how we need to take multi-sectoral approaches, how we need to touch not on, only on one of the core priorities of the strategy, but preferably make sure that, they are in, that the work comes from uh, numerous um, perspectives. Um, so MAMPU um, supports women's leadership and um, does so by working at the community and local level as well as through executive and legislative structures. Um, and it also is important for us to work through women's organizations and civil society. It can bridge poor communities with service providers and help reach more marginalized groups. Um, but it is also I mean, aside from giving voice to the most marginalized, such as women with disabilities, women from indigenous groups, young women and girls, it is, of course, also really important because evidence tells us that um, where we've seen progress on women's empowerment um, in the law and in policy, it is most often thanks to the efforts of the women's movement. So by connecting women's movements with their constituencies and strengthening their ability to advocate um, that we can achieve more lasting and meaningful impact. So MAMPU, um, I won't go into much detail on this, it's um, funded through uh, mainly through the Bilateral Indonesia Programme, but also with a contribution from the Gender Equality Fund. Uh, we have numerous other flagship programmes in the Asia-Pacific, sorry, the Indo-Pacific region, I should say. And you may have heard about some of the others uh, in other panels uh, during this week, such as our Investing in Women flagship program, as well as the Pacific Women Shaping Pacific Development program. Oh, sorry, I won't go any further at this stage. Um, but a few words on MAMPU. It is implemented in cooperation with BAPANAS, the National Planning and Development Ministry of the Government of Indonesia. Uh, and our investment is uh, just over 100 million Australian dollars for a duration of eight years until 2020. Um, you might want to keep that in mind in terms of questions about what needs to be done after 2020. And it supports the development of networks and inclusion, inclusive coalitions of women and gender-interested organizations, the partners, as well as parliamentarians to influence government policies, regulations, services, 
and to apply influence in selected private sector areas. And for us, this is a really key approach in uh, emerging uh, or, or middle-income countries in Asia where we see that we're doing less on the bricks and mortar and more on influencing government policies and supporting government to, to better implement service delivery. So through this process, Mampo expects to improve access of poor women to essential government services and programs. Um, ultimately, Mampo aims to contribute to the broader goal of improving gender equality and women's empowerment, directly supporting Indonesia's achievement of the SDGs. So today we'll hear more from Mampu, from especially from two of the partners, about how they've strengthened women's leadership to successfully influence policy at both local and national levels. So first, you'll hear a bit from Kate, who will introduce the key principles and approaches of Mampur. And that will be followed by Ibunani and Ibudina, who are speaking as Mampur partners. And um, they will tell their stories and the stories of women at the grassroots in influencing and bringing about change through women's leadership and empowerment. After these presentations, of course, there will be time for question and answers. So please prepare some questions. This is your chance to ask about women's grassroots leadership, leadership and how it connects to bringing about change at the policy level. Without further ado, Kate. Thank you, Anne-Marie, for the introduction. And thank you all for your eagerness to come and uh, hear us talk at 8 o'clock in the morning. Um, that means a lot. Uh, and I think for Nani, Dina and myself, who have been involved in the program in some capacity for the last eight years now, um, we are really excited to be sharing some of our experience with you today. Um, I myself went to Indonesia in 2003. Um, and haven't yet come home. Those who have had any sort of relationship with Indonesia probably understand why. Um, today, as, as Anne-Marie said, I'll be providing just some broad overview of the program, um, pri primarily on the approach, how we work, and then you'll hear um, more interestingly from Dina and Nani about their, their experiences in the program and their experience as um, senior, very well-regarded um, activists in Indonesia. Um, for those who aren't familiar uh, with Indonesia, allow me just to, we're going to put a two-minute infographic on just to give you a bit of an update on um, the status of, uh, sorry, women. Okay.
straight to the presentation. <laughs> yeah, that's, yep. that's the next one. So okay, sure. Put the PowerPoint back up. We're jumping ahead. Uh, yeah, that's perfect. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, um, so I have about 10 slides just to go over the, the program, the general pr principles and program approach. Um, as Anne-Marie touched on, the program's uh, in its seventh year now. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> excuse me. We were very lucky um, at the time uh, Indonesia's aid program was, um, was large, was scaling up. Both countries had a priority looking at poverty reduction. Indonesia had a very, has a very vibrant civil society and a very strong women's movement. So at that time, um, to, to help Indonesia address their issues around poverty, um, where women obviously are among um, the most vulnerable, uh, together both governments initiated the program. And the intent was always to, to leverage that strong uh, women's movement, women's organisations that, that existed. <clears throat> the program is based on a, a, a core, quite simple approach, um, and that is that evidence-based advocacy by strong organisations will catalyse uh, change in government policy. We work with civil society partners and the partners that we selected. So Mumpel, um, I think quite unique to some of the development uh, DFATS designs, the Mumpel partners were involved in the design. So we worked through a participatory process with civil society organisations um, and they themselves came up with the focus areas, which I'll talk about shortly. They came up with the name of the program. They came up with the ways we were going to work. They even came up, uh, came up with our theory of change for the program. And we worked, we, we intentionally selected organisations who had a track record of successfully advocating for change in Indonesia. So we, we wanted to work with these organisations who already had the expertise, who already had networks, and we, where we could then help them expand, strengthen, accelerate their work. Um, uh, a country like Indonesia, with more than 14,000 islands, geographically um, so widespread, working uh, in, in, this, um, in this way through networks and coalitions also meant that we could help Indonesia to reach some of the most remote, remote areas. <clears throat> also, obviously, working with civil society means we can be more flexible in, in the approaches. We can sort of, we can change track if needed, we can modify as we go. Um, but the organisations that we um, selected to work with, there was also a criteria that they have to work closely with government. We can't, we can't talk about policy change unless we're doing this hand in hand with government. So the program, the partners um, work closely with government, and the idea also was to to partnership um, to partner with local governments and through existing networks to expand beyond um, Mampu target areas and address structural barriers. The Mampu theory of change. Sorry, thank you. <laughs> um, the Mampu theory of change. We have three. Um, I get three outcomes. The first, uh, increased capacity and readiness for collective action, increased voice and influence, and improved access to services. Um, I know many of the people in this room are development practitioners, and this by no means is sequential or linear in any way. 
Um, so increased capacity and readiness for collective action um, didn't start at the beginning and sort of end halfway through. That's an ongoing process. Um, increased voice and influence um, and improved access to services um, potentially uh, came or we started to see some changes after the first couple of years where we focused on capacity and readiness of the organisations. Um, increased voice and influence looks particularly at the, the voice of, of women at the grassroots. It also looks at um, we also are starting to see changes in resource allocation, regu regulatory framework and things like that. Um, ultimately, our, our goal is gender, uh, to contribute to gender equality and women's empowerment. Now, the MUMPL team, the team that supports the partners to work, we obviously provide funds. So we, on behalf of DFAT, provide funds to these organisations. We convene. We provide technical assistance. Um, we bridge with other partners, with government. Um, and we provide uh, support for research, data collection, and general capacity building to the organisations. to, I guess, give the program some level of focus, some entry points. Uh, together at that design stage back in 2012, I think it was, um, we worked with the organisations to identify um, the most pressing issues facing women at that time. Um, these five areas, um, accessing social protection programs, uh, Nani will talk more about that shortly. Improving conditions of employment and, rep and removing workplace discrimination. Improving conditions of women's overseas labour migration. Uh, health and nutrition. And violence against women. Were the five issues that collectively uh, the women's organisations that we were working with identified as the most pressing. They have become entry points for our partners. So I guess uh, to, to give some parameters um, into the development um, the, the programming, um, the, these, five, these five thematic areas provide that for us. Um, what you see below these is actually the organisations we work with. Uh, so we have 13 what we call main partners. Um, these are all civil society organisations that have a long history working on women's issues. Uh, obviously, for example, PECA, Ebonani's organisation, is working primarily on accessing uh, social protection, Kapal Prempuan and Kaolisi Prempuan Indonesia. These 13 organisations are the partners who receive our funds and then they have large networks. The makeup varies, uh, so some, um, some have membership-based, uh, some are membership-based organisations, some have sub-partners, some have branches, um, so it's, it's, there's a variation amongst the partners. But our coverage across the country uh, now is 27, pro we're in 27 provinces, uh, we're in close to 1,200 villages at the moment um, because our... Uh, our areas of intervention sort of go up and down as just with the dynamics of uh, the partners and their work. Some of the, I guess, the, the foundations or the fundamental principles that um, underlie the whole program. One is, um, as I've mentioned a couple of times, is networks and coalitions. So the program was always designed to maximise um, maximize on those networks that existed, but also to help those partners expand their networks and expand coalitions. Um, as I mentioned, we directly support 13 partners, um, but we have uh, 100 um, sub-partners and or branches that we work with at the, at the local level. We also um, work with the partners to expand their networks with, particularly, with both executive and legislative arms of the government. 
um, and, and beyond with academic and private sector. Just to show you, um, uh, sorry, back. Uh, the empowerment framework that we um, apply. So we look at empowerment, we focus on five assets, human assets, financial agency, uh, social assets and enabling assets. We've just done some recent analysis um, on uh, our impact here with our women's groups, um, particularly for Mumpool, we're seeing, we've seen a lot of change with uh, human uh, agency, uh, social and enabling, less with financial, um, and that's something that we're, um, we're working on, uh, particularly at the, specifically at the moment. Um, since the program started, we have helped worked with our partners to establish uh, more than 3,000 groups, women's groups, in addition to the groups that the partners um, were already supporting. Uh, um, that's about 60,000 women. I'll just skip past this one due to time. So because we work with a range of organisations on a range of topics, <clears throat> we, we want to leverage and benefit um, the uniqueness of each organisation. There are some core principles though and there are some core interventions I guess that sort of underpin the readiness for collective action. I'm just going to pull out two here, so for example women's groups and community organising, that's something that all of our partners across all of our thematic areas focus on. Training and mentoring women leaders, that's another area that all of our partners work on. But because we want to be context specific, we want to ensure that the interventions are driven by the organisations and are appropriate to the local context and the capacity of the organisation, there's variances across the partners in which particular um, areas of intervention that they may focus on. I just wanted to share a couple of models, and I won't go into detail here because Nani will, but amongst our partners now, together with the local government, we have actually developed um, models or approaches, if you, if you will, um, where it's basically a partnership between civil society, the, our partner, and government. And it's around the thematic area that we're working on. Nani will talk more about click picker, um, but the five that I've listed here are um, models or approaches that where we're starting to see government take up. So the government is now funding and replicating these models and approaches that um, the Mumpel partners have have developed. Time's running out for me, so I will be brief. I only have three slides left, Anne-Marie. Um, so just what are we starting to see? So against our theory of change, um, collective action, uh, collective action I, I can happen at multiple levels, um, but here I'm referring to collective action across our 13 main partners. Our 13 main partners have come together and identified an agenda that they want to work on together. That's the red boxes down the bottom. Advocating for uh, SDGs, engaging with parliament, child marriage, um, pre preparing for the presidential election, campaigning, uh, violence against women, religious pluralism, and the Indonesia's national health insurance. These are areas, irrespective of the thematic focus, that Mampul partners are advocating on, working together on. And in the last 18 months, we've seen a significant increase in, what, in collaboration amongst our partners on this and with government. Increased voice and influence. Um, so we've just finished a, a midline of a longitudinal study, which is showing that membership in Mampul village level groups is enabling women active participation in wider village um, level discussions <coughs> compared to areas where Mumpo is not um, working. 
We have, and this actually, I apologise, this figure uh, got an update this morning. It's more than 200, not 150. So Mumble has contributed to more than 200 uh, administrative uh, regulations, probably isn't, administrative regulations, okay. Okay. <laughs> um, so at the village level, um, we've got village level regulations, we've got district level regulations, we've got letters coming out from district heads and mayors, so administrative, um, I guess, issuing of, of some sort of letter or regulation in support of Mumple's work and our issues. Um, and we're also seeing increased uh, budget allocations, as I mentioned, on some of our priority areas. Uh, since 2014, um, and I, sorry, the 2014 and 2012 just refers to uh, DFAT managed for the first two years, I was eight at the time, managed for the first two years of the program before the program was implemented um, by co-order Sujima. So from 2014, we've assisted directly uh, 81,961 women um, to access services, and that's across uh, a number of different service areas, including social protection, um, social security, uh, pap smear tests, uh, uh, services for victims of violence. Um, I'm going to stop there and uh, ask the wonderful Ibunani Zulminani to take over and share with you a little bit about Pekka's experience working with Mumpool. Okay. Now I'll try again. No. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you, Kate. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for coming. So I will, uh, as Kate mentioned, I will share our story from uh, PAKA experience as Mampu partners. So I will start with telling you a story about this Nene Tukinam and her sons. Actually, she has two sons. Uh, as one of many other millions of women head of the family, who live under the property lines in Indonesia. So she's part of this 9.87% left in Indonesia. Of course, Indonesia make a lot of progress in terms of property, but this I want to tell how this uh, Nenek Tukiam uh, uh, live. Nenek Tukiam living in one of the villages in Bantul. Bantul is like one hour from Yogyakarta, if you know Indonesia. Um, it's not so far from Yogyakarta, so she lived with her two sons, her disabilities two sons. First son, 37 years old, is um, 
autism, get have autism, and the second son, 34 years old, have mental illness. The husband died several years ago. So during earthquake in 2006 in Yogyakarta, uh, Nenek Tukinam lost everything, including all her property as well as uh, documents, uh, legal, legal documents. Actually, she does not have the legal document, uh, like we don't know actually what her age, uh, because she borns during colonialism and does not have all these birth, birth certificates. So, but she told us that her age is around 80 years old. So she actually eligible for all government uh, social protection. Uh, but she doesn't get it because, because the village registered her as 65 years old women who's who are not eligible for PKH, for example. PKH is one of the program to give cash transfer for all these, the poors of the poor. So um, then how we uh, reach out? I think the problems of poverty in Indonesia, the 9.87% is really the most difficult to be reached by a conventional program that the government has. So there should be a specific approach uh, that uh, to reach this, to make them visible, visible in the context. So what we we do actually, we in since 2014 actually, Paka started a new initiative called Click Paka. This is part of our legal empowerment program before, where we want to uh, reach the poorest of the poor, uh, so they can they can solve their legal identity problem. But uh, we use this click paka to reach to reach out of this, the poor of the poor. Click paka means this uh, legal mobile clinic for information on consultation on social protection for the poorest. So click paka actually run by uh, grassroots women leaders, the women headed family, the poor women headed family that we have trained for a long time. So they are uh, trained as organizers, as advocates, and also uh, on the leadership leadership training. So it's done in in the village level and move from one village to different villages uh, in different time. So uh, the in in Klikpaka, there were poor women, poor people, not only women but all the family who have never heard anything about government services, for example, who does not have legal identity, who are invisible in the data system, they can come to consult and get uh, access to in different information, including national ID card, uh, birth certificate, marriage divorce certificate, this is very important, the BPJS for the uh, social protection that you see on the video before, and access to different social protection program that actually government has uh, to be given to them. So uh, usually the women, the one week before this, and we and also in Click Pakao, we work with uh, government officer, government services, including social, um, what you call it, social affairs and, and others. So one week or a few days before the click happen, usually the grassroots women leaders will prepare. They do simulation, they do uh, role play and other things, how to, how to uh, respond to different cases that poor people bring. And also then they go around to the village using transportation and announce that, okay, the, on, on, for example, on Wednesday there will be 
click poka you can come if you have this problem so they announce it with local language some of them using becha for example you know becha the the tricycle or using bicycle or going to the the market the local market where the women usually there and announce this and let them know what time where how what they should bring and whom they can ask if they need for the question in in and regarding this click uh, paka. So during uh, the day, the women usually come and, and there is already the, the place where the click conducted usually in, if we have our community learning center, paka usually have it in different villages. We do it in our community learning center, but if not, then they do it in a village has office, a village chief's office or somebody's houses or in the yard, different places with accessible to all people in that, that village. And the women then organize this, um, div, div, uh, divide their roles among them who will register, who will talk with the government, who will accompany for example, the old people or disability people to, to talk with the government uh, who provide services on that day. So there are several tables usually provided during the click. One, all the table, some of the table actually, uh, the, the government officers will be there. So we bring the government to come to the village to sit there to listen directly to a community who's asking them a lot of questions and also <laughs> access information that never reach, uh, reach them. And also we have uh, our paralegal, usually the PAKA women that had been trained to become paralegal. And in, in some part, we also have some uh, other NGOs who provide legal aid. So the, the lawyer, for example, who if the women coming with very difficult um, issues, then we can they can get help from uh, our colleagues who, who provide legal aid uh, support. So um, here's some pictures, some or like government officer from example from social affairs office who then uh, respond will respond government uh, to res respond the poor people question and uh, demand and also uh, then they, they can access data as well from uh, these people. Usually, most of the people come to this click paka are not in the database of government, so they are invisible uh, in the data. Although they are there, they are poor, but uh, they're just not in the data because of many, many reasons. And also during this, uh, usually they come very early in the morning, like all of them, but they have to take turn. Then we provide also some uh, basic services like we have paramedic coming or sometimes a doctor to help them with health uh, checking and all the things. So just this is part of the strategy to to make them uh, what enthusiastic to come and uh, so they expect something they will understand about health and they can check their blood pressure or, or uh, other things, consult on their health, yes. And uh, so there will be at the end of the click paka, usually um, it's, it started like early in the morning, nine o'clock, then we close usually at two, but some people will still come. 
there are always like over 100 people, more than 100 people usually coming in one click, in one day. So then at the end, we will collect a lot of this. Uh, Paka will collect, will have a lot of data and information that they will organize according to the cases. And later on, we'll hand it to, to the government or some cases, then we will follow up also with different government offices, including uh, social uh, affairs, health affairs, education, or sometimes with the court and uh, the religious court or, or the court if this related with the uh, marriage or divorce uh, cases. Then this data will be used by the government to uh, to change, to, to correct, to make correction on their data, and also to develop the uh, system based on uh, this in input. So just one uh, example, for example, the government through the national planning, national, uh, what is the NP2? National team, team, national team. Yes, so <laughs> yeah. So the national body for property alleviation, uh, with the Bapanas, has this uh, initiative to start the, they call it SLRT. This is Integrated Referral System for Social Protection. So, but then we provide this information uh, to the SLRT, uh, which is actually government at district uh, level system, then they will follow it up. So now, because of this experience, they, they look at uh, ClickPaka is very effective and efficient in collecting data and also mobilize poor people to, to access government services. Then they, uh, this particular uh, district, we have piloting with Mampu and co collaboration with Bapanas, then piloting in several districts how then our initiative integrated into this system. So one in, for example, in Sukabumi, this is in West Java, the district head is very progressive in responding this. They look at PAKA and it is, uh, they got all the, they saw the PAKA is very effective and efficient in the system. So now PAKA become one of the, they call it social post, social post, to connect with the SLRT, which is government uh, system, actually. Uh, then, the, then the district government will have a release uh, district policy, with then they will allocate a budget for having click in all of our villages in Sukabumi. It's over 300 villages in Sukabumi, the PAKA leaders will, will run in the next, uh, this year, 2019, with this uh, policy. So if, as, if we will um, explain it in, in some graphic, what actually we are, we are doing uh, in Mampu, and Paka Mampu, and other partners with Kapal Perempuan and also uh, KPI, or social protection. So we put the grassroots uh, women, poor women, actually marginalized women. In case of Paka, women-headed family who are mostly divorced, widows, single women, abandoned women, all these uh, poor women and also excluded women in the system as the central of everything. So we, we facilitate, we build their leadership and capacity building so that they can, they can respond to their own uh, context. In our case, for example, we have Click Paka as the instrument and also Paka Citizen Journalism. So these two, two instruments 
actually collect the data and um, information, and then we also tracking government uh, policies and program financing. Then the Paka women themselves, they are the one who actually engage with the local government, uh, bring the data and also facilitate the village community forum. Then the data, the village government will deal with the district and national level government. We also uh, engage with the national level government. So just quickly, uh, who actually come to the ClickPaka? There are um, over 50,000 consulting in ClickPaka. Of course, around 90-65% uh, are women. Uh, this is the cases brought mostly on social protection. Before, when we we start with this, the legal or legal uh, focus is more on legal, but now it's much more on social protection, different social protection program. Then, uh, so yeah, this is the number rich legal cases, social protection, and also village coverage in the past uh, few years, three years. Okay. Thank you. The video. So I will help Dina with the video. The third. Yeah, this one. Yeah, this is the video. Yeah, good morning everyone. Welcome to Sumatra Islands. That's the, <laughs> the second largest, I'm proud to say the second largest island in Indonesia. So uh, mind you that actually for child marriage is a very serious problem in Indonesia. Uh, when we see that, uh, uh, we can directly say what happened to this. <laughs> no. Yeah. We have data that 931 everyday girls married. That's the licensed one because there are many uh, that they don't really uh, registered. Yeah, and also because of the uh, religious values and customary law, etc. So I think you have seen this one before. And let's start from the Tutis uh, story. So that's from Bengkulu, the name, just in case you have been to Bengkulu. <laughs> there is a very poor uh, district there, the name is Saluma. She's married when she was uh, 15 years old from the poor family. And after 10 years marriage, she has five children. From the third child uh, pregnancy, she's bleeding all the time. And the third child had an eyesight problem and also underweight problem. The fourth one uh, suffered from tuberculosis, TVC, what they call it. And then the last born, it's partly deaf and motoric problem. So if you see uh, the next data, 
throughout uh, the last uh, two years, for instance, uh, two of the seven children that, let me see, why did, okay, seven malnourished children from poor parents married before 17 years old, and uh, you can see two of the seven children actually, two these children. You know, uh, for the women's stories, it's like a, uh, iceberg, actually, phenomenon, because there are many, many that we didn't really see, and like Nani said, it's very invisible. So that's why we worked uh, through the through the problem that we start from Bengkulu, but it's the same story in Sumatra Island, like from northern Sumatra. Uh, you can see like Omak Binsa. Oh, let me tell you something. In Sumatra, in North Sumatra, there is an ethnic group that it's not polite to mention my name, my uh, maiden's name. When I married, I become the wife of, wife of, and then Omak Binsa means the mother of. So and then later on, I'll be the grandma of. So there's so many names, but not my name. So I'm quite invisible, none. So you can see that uh, she was married in, oh, when she was 17 years old, 16 times pregnant since nine births. She said she was trying to abort, but the, the, the other seven, she didn't mention it's an abortion. So it's like they call it natural uh, aborted, something like that. So it's uh, really showed the problem. So we have seen that that's an indicator of feminization of poverty. So yesterday I heard about the cycle of poverty, but I could say that uh, this is a feminization of poverty and women always there. And three at least problems there, so there are many, said the repro reproductive health problems, lack of information on nutrition and birth control, and then, then it create or it produce malnourished children. And what is the advocacy process for this? Uh, let me quickly mention that actually we have uh, approach that the first approach we must work on economic empowerment of women through individual and women groups and collective power. To, to build the collective power for awareness raising and to do the collective action. This is the collective action. And later on, for them, we will have a better access to sexual and reproductive health and rights. And then they also will change, uh, the program will change the family values, customary laws, hopefully, and the religious uh, interpretations. Uh, so this is very important because in our, um, what do you call it, findings from our research, qualitative research, women and even the community, they don't really aware of the government policies, but they're really aware of their customary law and the religious uh, law. That's all. Uh, yeah, so that's why, but even so, we believe that at the end they realize that there is a government policy that really can protect them, their rights. So we start, uh, even we put it here 2016, but actually we started to work in the grassroots level even before 2010. It's not an, uh, uh, a very easy work to awareness raising. It takes time really, and it's just like a spiral, you know, you are the expert there. It's like a spiral, sometimes because of the, Sumatra is very uh, vulnerable, 
vulnerable for earthquake, etc. So everything can happen in a minute. And so in 2014, we did unwanted pregnancy uh, research. Of course, there you use it unplanned pregnancy. You know why? We don't, you know, pregnancy is always want by woman. That's what they say. So, <laughs> uh, so that's why we seriously work to start the leadership from grassroots. And uh, so far, for instance, we have the forum for grassroots women with 22,000 uh, members. So in 2016 to 2017, also we have a research on gender issues in nutrition because we realized that in the stunting problems, we have a stunting problems, we as women feel like it's, uh, what do you call it? Menyalahkan? Blaming. Yeah, blaming women again. And followed by so many other things with breastfeeding, etc. But where is the woman's rights? That's why we really uh, did a, a research to show there is a gender issues there. So we need to also work on that because there are many ideas that women must be healthy, but they don't really need to eat meat, for instance. Fish also is not good for women because maybe it's a bit smelly. Your body is not good for your husband. You know, because the body really, yeah, that's it. That's the value. All of our life started from very beginning. That's for marriage, to be the reproductive uh, mean for the, the whole ethnic community. You know, Sumatra Island also home for various uh, ethnic, minor, uh, ethnic minorities, I should say. So in 2017, 2018, the collective action start from the grassroots into the, uh, to the NGO's level, CSO's level, in which we work closely with the forum, multi-stakeholder forum. It uh, consists of uh, customary leaders and also religious leaders. It's not easy to imagine that we should talk about cases from, it's evidence-based. So we, we took all of the cases uh, about the child marriage and also even unsafe abortion, because there are many. Uh, all the, what do you call it, fragile issues or very hot? Sensitive, sensitive. sensitive issues, yeah. Sensitive issues is there. So only few actually customary leaders and religious leaders that uh, we can uh, rely on on the multi-stakeholder forum and also the women forum also there. So four CSO work together and the decree drafting from January to July 2018. Bear in mind at the time actually it's a local uh, election which is very difficult for us because many times there are so many things really to use to blame the women's movement. So. Oh, thankfully, in July 2018, the decree <laughs> the passed. And, you know, but it, we, we can't really stay there because there are so many things to do. You know, in our law number, uh, about marriage law, for instance, there is one uh, article in Article 7 mentioned that women can marry uh, uh, after 16 years old while the child rights... Uh, Law actually 18. 
On the other hand, there are many conflicting uh, legal things in Indonesia. For instance, 17 years old, you've got identity card. It means as a citizen, you're already adult. And even for the fourth right, uh, right to vote, if you're married, you already adult politically. So it's so many things to do still, but at least we have done uh, from the grassroots to the provincial level, and the ongoing one is to monitor the decree. Why it doesn't work? Yeah, I think we talked about this already. So uh, just to make it a bit clearer, we start with evidence-based advocacy and then grassroots coalition and networks, strategic ally, and then public campaign. Of course, media is very important, but which one that really pro to the woman's voice, it's also not easy, but of course we, we can work, we can work on that. So what's in the draft and the decree actually just the minimum age of marriage and reproductive health rights and education. In fact, uh, in the in the rural area, like in North Sumatra, even in eight provinces, we started silently, but politically work on sex education in family. So we produced the handout for parents and we call it like a pilot because uh, the government directly said, can we see that? Can we use it? Can we scale it up? Can we replicate, etc.?" And he said, hold on, we still learn. So there are many things uh, in the grassroots uh, level to really work on this because this is one uh, is the most indicator of uh, discrimination against women and the poverty, uh, family, feminization of poverty. So, Mampu strengthens grassroots women's leadership to influence policy change. We need to mention this clearly at the local level and also at the national level, because we also work at the national level together with all of the Mampu's partner. Even Mampu partner also work together with uh, women's movement strongly. Thank you very much. I think you will agree with me that we've heard some fantastic stories from the field and our speakers have been able to paint a very rich picture of the complexities of raising awareness about some really intractable issues that are closely linked to lack of legal protection, cultural uh, attitudes, um, and a lack of resourcing. And uh, you, you can see from these stories what it takes for Mampur to build up women's leadership from the bottom, from the grassroots, in order to bring about changes at a policy level vis-a-vis um, -vis government um, at the various levels. I mean, don't forget this is a complex setting with um, multiple levels of government and a lot of decision-making clearly taking place at the subnational level. Um, our speakers have also really uh, stuck to time very nicely, so we have half an hour for questions and answers. Um, so I'm going to take the first three that I can see, and then we'll, um, the speakers can um, comment on your questions. Could you please state your name 
if your question is directed to anyone in particular, and just try to keep it brief and to the point. So I saw a hand there and over there, and Sarah, please. Hi, my name is Michelle Reddy. I'm from the Fiji Women's Fund. I've heard so much about Malcolm, so thank you so much for the presentations. Uh, my question is directed to all of you. I'm interested in finding out about the power dynamics in such a complex relationship that you have, and how do you manage those power dynamics within the coalition that you had, but also with, within, like, DFAT, the Mbampu support team, and all of that. So I'm interested to know about that. Hi, uh, my name is Alex Robinson from the Nossel Institute at the University of Melbourne. Um, thank you to all the speakers, it um, was really impressive work, and thank you very much. Um, Unani, uh, your story about Nenet uh, Pukina, um, you, you touched on issues there about disability, poverty, burden of care, and also you talked a bit about visible groups. Um, so with your work on legal identity, my, my question is, um, has that been extended to registration of children with disability at birth? A, a related and important issue. Thank you. And Sarah. So my name is Sarah Waddington. I'm um, from the government's branch in DFAT. My question is for Dina. Um, Dina, you mentioned um, really a bunch of quite interesting norms around what it is to be a woman um, in the area um, that you're describing, you know, down to the food that you eat, but also what's normal in terms of a life path, what age your, your daughter might be married. And I just wondered what strategies um, the projects use to try and shift those norms and whether or not um, you think there's been any traction on those norms changing at a community level. Great questions. Um, going to see who would like to go first with a question on power dynamics. Do you, do you want to get straight into that? Yeah? yeah. Okay. Um, we look at, yes, of course, the, uh, for Michelle on this power dynamic, I will look at from the grassroots point of view. Um, we always, as Dina also mentioned, there are three different power that we deal when we organize our grassroots women, especially women-headed family. First, of course, the formal structure, as we call it, has very influence here in this, which is government and all the, um, the what you call it, the, the line from top to the bottom. And second, uh, the, uh, what you call all this hidden power. This is all the non-formal system, including religious leaders, um, non-traditional leaders, indigenous leaders, who is very controlled in the life of, of the women, so when we do the leadership training, there's always question on um, why um, there is always also said that women cannot become uh, leadership. And the third, of course, inside of the women themselves, the values, the system that they already inherited, which actually uh, hold them back to uh, actively participate. Uh, so these all uh, we have to, to deal with. Um, in terms of the organi organization, the movement itself, um, we and in corporate, maybe Dina can talk more about the dynamic among the, the NGO, the women CSO, as you maybe um, question on that. But uh, in, in our case, we organize women, highly feminine, grassroots women, when they become from uh, informal group, we call it PAKA group, uh, this is self-help group, and then become 
registered mass-based membership organization at the local level. They are facing the government structure on the women's organizing, which is called PKK. So the PKK is the main uh, vehicle for the government to reach the women at the grassroots level. This is, uh, it's non-formal actually, but because they are under the government structure, they got a budget annually, they, the chairperson is the wife of the village head, then this become tensions. While um, the women and the family, they are the poorest of the poor, they are excluded in the system, they are not part of the PKK. So when they become, uh, when these women become bold, bold and um, they are, their leadership grows, they have become very strong. The PAKA Association, we call it Serikat PAKA at the ground, very strong, become very strong and well recognized and also contribute a lot and very active, engaged. Then this, ten this tension happen. What we do then, we develop other instruments where the, the PAKA leaders then train these women, the PKK women, on all our um, principle uh, content manual so they now slowly engage uh, at the local level uh, together of course it's not uh, work in all level uh, in all villages but at least there are several examples which is good example where we transform the village head wife who is the chairperson of the pekaka become um, the main supporters of Paka. And also, we also, uh, in dealing with the religious leader, for example, we also approach them by sharing all the thinking and involve them in our activities, then transform them, become our, um, from the one who hate us so much, now become our uh, fans. <laughs> so we have many cases like that. So, um, we, we, we try to comfort by not confronting because we know we are so marginalized, we are so invisible, we are so small, we cannot uh, confront, we cannot fight like, you know, uh, how do you get menantang? Challenge them, but uh, we try to approach and have, uh, engage them and have a lot of discussion with them in the process. Does one of you also want to comment on briefly on that question, or do you want to move on? I mean, just really briefly on the, obviously comment on your uh, question, Michelle, from a different perspective to Nani. Mm -hmm. um, from the team leader uh, role, I guess, um, you know, 95%, I guess, of a team leader's role is managing the dynamics of relationships and the partners <laughs> who we work with. Um, and for, for us in Mumble, that means the partners, um, our main partners, and it obviously also means DFAT, our donor, and it also means the um, partner government. Um, yes, and our, and our co owner our, our managing contractor as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not easy. Um, it's, <laughs> it's probably the easiest answer. Um, but I think um, uh, the good old term that's been thrown around a lot lately about thinking or working politically, um, you know, really does underpin where we prioritise our relationships, understanding where that power lies and the incentives behind that um, is critical, um, as is having the right people in your team to help you do that. Um, so a, a very general answer, but I think um, it's, it's a really important one um, because navigating those relationships um, is, is a, a significant part of um, the programme of success. And one more perspective, in fact, on that question. <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, I like the question. <laughs> it's happening all the time. But 
from our experience, just focus on one agenda. Look at the, the similar thing that all of us really feel, you know, is, you know, like in Bengkulu, for uh, NGOs, women NGOs, like Pupa, they work for children's rights. And then like uh, KPI, that's a uh, women's coalition, uh, one of the interest group that they really work is marginalized uh, girls. So they are there, and also PKBI actually is the International Parenthood Indonesian version. They also have this agenda. So it's, uh, of course, on the paper it's very easy, but you know, trust building is very imp important, especially in our culture. So it's not only uh, when we're sitting together, but sometimes, you know, we know, we do a lot of things in informal uh, meetings, and even just to send what's etc. But the strong uh, things that I should mention is the case. If you have the case, you have qualitative data. I think that's the, the power of our work. And we learn a lot about that. Because nothing can say, oh, no, the number is nothing. But when you say the story and everyone says, yeah, 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 we heard about it, that's how we work. So two things is focus on the agenda and the leadership. Uh, we need to, well, we, we believe in shared uh, power, but the leadership must be there in one or two, otherwise it's too scattered. Sometimes it's difficult. So one or two, which is the strongest one, we need it, and everyone can just follow. That's uh, our experience, maybe in another place, different. Uh, this, this question clearly stirred lots of emotions. <laughs> so, one more, and then we might just have to move on to the, the other the question. Disability, mm -hmm. the disability, oh, okay. Great. Like, uh, yeah, yes, we register. I think what is interesting in Indonesia, uh, we don't have, we try to find that disabilities at the local level, for example, children with disabilities, women with disabilities, because many Paka women actually also we have several members who are disabled and not uh, um, in the data. So we register and we have a discussion, we have, we call it village forum, where we bring up these this, uh, issues of disability. Uh, it's very interesting, many villages, they don't look, at, you know, it's really, uh, disabled, disabled people actually are not, really not counted. So they are considered as, in Indonesia, they call it cacat, mean, you know, not normal, something like that. So they just already, uh, exclude them and consider them uh, maybe someone who need help all the time actually they are not empowered so we do um, uh, register and support them to get to gain a legal legal identity including birth certificate and maybe also marriage certificates and and divorce certificate if they are uh, abandoned by by their husbands yes. And would you, yeah. would you like to yeah. talk about social norms? Yeah. Oh, from Sarah, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sarah, yeah. The strategy to shift the norms, yeah, I mentioned that it's not easy. It's been a, a decade of work, actually. But since Mampo uh, support us, we, we work uh, really a bit easier because they uh, they believe that we are serious, <laughs> you know, because sometimes they just think that it's a, just a woman's things, something that, you know, it's very patriarchal idea when women always just listen and then nothing really changed. But uh, what we start uh, from the beginning is the women groups. It's a collective power from the grassroots. And we invited the, the husbands. 
their sons through youth forum, their husbands through, uh, we call it, uh, ah, yeah, yeah, that's father's groups. Uh, so we realized that they're very important and we talk to them through, actually in the concept is gender awareness raising uh, training, but we call it, let's discuss about family. How important your position as father, as husband, even as brother, because in, for instance, in many ethnic groups, uh, father is like the, what do you call it, the representative of God in the universe. That's one thing. And the son will automatically take the leadership when the father is not there, or even they come together as a, uh, as a very strong uh, group. And then Youth Forum. We also work with Youth Forum. And then also talk to individual uh, leaders from religious and from customary. We don't directly talk to the institution. We just, uh, as user, we just identify which one to talk to, and then we invite, uh, we just show them they are our good work and what would be the benefit to the church, to the mosque, etc. And we address the importance of family, nuclear and uh, extended family, because we have extended family system and family uh, family name system. So for me, like Lumban Tobin, I should talk to the leader of Lumban Tobin uh, family. <laughs> yeah, so it's very interesting. I like it. <laughs> it's very challenging and we learned a lot. Why they really... Uh, afraid of women things. But when they know, they realize, because I say, without women, no ethnic group. Nobody really get born. <laughs> and uh, yeah, for uh, as our HR, you may not know that the, uh, the sex of your kids, it depends on your sperm, for instance. So, but you use a very soft uh, language for that. And sometimes we invite one granny that really understand how to say it in local language. So we need to really talk in local language. We use the verses from Holy Bible, for instance. So we really need to work and then we just trust them. This is important. Religion important, family important, customer important. But we need to do something because uh, life is already changed. The world really changed. Thank you. Thank you. take three more questions and straight away oh there's three men here who have questions well <laughs> you need to make yourselves heard you're the minority here <laughs> so first there yes and then thank you it's just terrific I, I can't translate some of the things because you seem to have a, a governance and the functions of the government which I often find the government PNG. there's some other terrific insights in terms of dealing with nutrition that I hadn't thought of before I guess I'm really interested in this sort of fascinating project that's obviously having a real influence and in policy in that and trying to relate it to the language around the use of soft power. So in a, in a broader geopolitical sort of context, I, I, I assume there's some positive goodwill coming to Australia, but I think that's not terribly relevant. I guess I'm more interested in the battle of ideas that are sometimes incorporated into the idea of sort of soft power. And, and in this sort of space, the sort of role of sort of women's empowerment as to how that plays into democratic systems, which obviously part of this geopolitical system, but also how it relates to, I guess, one-party state communist 
principles and ideals relative to what you're hearing from Australians? There are, are there things there that are uh, appealing or, or problematic when it comes to, I guess, the value sets and ideas that Australia's put forward in promoting the region? Mm -hmm. That's an interesting one. I'm hoping that the other two will be lengthy so that the ladies can confer a bit about who might answer that one. <laughs> I'm behind her first, uh, yes. Just a quick question here. Um, mm -hmm. Probably a question for you, Kate, just thinking about the program's approach on increased capacity, voice and repetitions and status. You know, fantastic power of case studies on show there, which is always wonderful to see. Just wondering on any sort of innovative approaches to, you know, M&E and &E, &E systems, so much data, so much qualitative data, and so Right, and a third question, Chris, was that you? Uh, Chris Morris from Um My question is really to all three of you, whoever is the best place to answer. Um, I'm assuming a lot of your work is done with um, sort of local government bureaucrats and um, sort of local government offices. Um, when you have, or if you have, worked with local politicians, um, what have been your reasons for doing that? Um, and have you found it to be, or what have you found to be effective for or ineffective for? Um, and just maybe particularly to Kate, what those 200 regulations that you mentioned, have any gone through district parliaments as opposed to just being executive decrees? So either a government's regulation or a district Thank you. 
except for the law on, in 2017 on the protection of migrant workers. So a law was passed in 2017, one of our partners, Migrant Care, um, who are well-known in the region or African the rights of migrant workers, were um, a key, uh, played a key role in, in, in getting that uh, through a national level parliament. So they're, they're, um, they have strong alliances with, with people, um, yeah, with the parties. But um, it, it varies across, across the party, across the party, sorry. Yeah, um, just to the question on uh, Monev. Um, so uh, one of probably um, uh, the best learned uh, um, positive experiences in setting up any development program, I'm just going to plug it here, is a really good management information system. Um, so Mumple from the outset uh, set up a, an MIS against our theory of change um, with uh, it is really robust, it's comprehensive, the data and information is uploaded um, every day, it's, it's partners report into it, um, we have quarterly reports coming in from partners, we have all of our detail um, going to the field and reporting back, everything is on the system and we can cut, cut it in any which way. So we can pull out data, we can pull out um, reach, we can pull out who partners are engaging with um, by timeframes, by location, by, and that's all mapped against our theory of change. So it's, um, but as far as tools go, um, we have our quarterly reports with partners, um, we rely on the um, most significant change stories, which the partners also upload. Um, so it's an online system that's accessible um, to everyone involved in the program. And now for that first question. <laughs> um, and now I'll hand that over to Nani. Uh, <laughs> I'll come in a little after. Oh, well, uh, I think the woman empowerment idea in the democratic, right? Yeah. yeah. So uh, actually, we do aware that economic is very important. So we always show the, uh, the economic power of women, for instance. They never realized that actually from the all of the women credit unions that we assisted, that we trained, now they have 44 or almost 45 billion rupiah money. It's equal. You can check the <laughs> Google. Us, it's a big money. They, they, come from, they come from rural area with minimum cash and also from the poor uh, groups. And also, we use the uh, the our current president's uh, long-term plan and their vision about the woman empowerment, and they show clearly how we can use it, how we can use it in political arena because we have a, like a election law that say about quota, quota etc. So we use it as a, also uh, what you call it. Uh, to show the uh, what is the meaning of economic uh, woman empowerment to the country to create the democratic uh, uh, country. Uh, do I respond to you? Coffee break. I think I think government cannot say no uh, in the women's empowerment because in principle it is guaranteed by by our law. Uh, the most challenging is, of course, with the non-formal system. Of course, they always excuse us as bringing Western thinking, Western values uh, to break out our uh, 
norm and the thing got this kind of thing when they saw how these women transformed to become very strong leaders, voice out and become very visible, bold, uh, which is, I think they're scared of it. Um, uh, we, there are a lot of laws actually protect us in doing so because we have, um, thanks for a long time, women's movement in Indonesia, even since um, before we are independent. Uh, women ex uh, uh, government experience. I think one of uh, very scarce to governments if we associate with uh, communism. So this is what they always try to check what we are doing. Actually, what kind of values? Um, for example, in in and, and and for the Muslim community, for example, they scare we are bringing Christian values. For example, all this kind of um, association which we have to face, and we just be be transparent what, what we are doing and um, and we try also to use all the government framework including SDGs now as the to to show the government that what we are doing actually helping them to reach the SDGs SDGs 5, 4, 8, 10, all of the SDGs. Uh, so when we start with Marco actually we are in, in MDGs. So we use this we use this framework and and we, we use, we take the government SDGs indicators and we show them where are the uh, mampu indicators in that indicator. So they feel secure with all, all this. Mm -hmm. And I want to a little bit touch the Chris on this local, how we engage with local politicians. Yes, we do, because they can help us actually uh, enforce the sum of regulation laws uh, to the, the executive. In fact, now what we have not mentioned, I think all of the Mampu partners also uh, support our grassroots women leaders to enter the politi political arena. So, for example, in Pakistan we have 52 women, grassroots women from the bottom, now running for the election at district level. You, of course, using all the political parties, even though we don't like the political parties. <laughs> <laughs> But they are all in their political parties, and we use this platform as well to to strengthen the what you call it the the women's one um, because we are we are not we don't want to be divided by political parties or because by the presidential candidates. So this becomes the platform. And then, yeah, please, yeah, this is the response to Chris. Also, the in local level, I mentioned that we have a grassroots woman uh, forum. So we, they are the leaders actually from the grassroots, and then we have a list of women potential, and we sell it softly to the uh, political parties. We show them because they also got problem how to reach women uh, for thirty five percent, thirty three percent of the candidates, and uh, yeah. So we train from all of the parties. We invite all of the candidates. And we have, a, we call it a political education. Actually, in, inside is all of the women rights issues and how to develop the uh, policies that really uh, sensitive to uh, gender uh, issues, etc. And also we develop a trust building to the political parties and also local uh, government. By si every six months, we produce the Suara 
Pramampo actually is a newsletter to show what we have done, and we mention them clearly. It's like, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's very political. <laughs> so they also proud that they also informed, and they actually they a bit proud to be part of mentioned by women's movement. Yeah, and also we show how much money we've got from Australia, and we said nothing behind, and we go directly. Uh, some of them to the uh, most of them directly to the grassroots, and every year we invite all of the stakeholders, especially the local authorities, to really show and to have a question and answer about what we have done. It's not uh, as as smooth as I mentioned here, but you know, as long as we just know how to play with all of the dynamic power, we are there. Yeah. So, so far we are quite uh, confident. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think Ibu Dinev will receive this morning's prize for diplomacy. Yeah. <laughs> And this is going way beyond soft power as we imagine it in Canberra. So definitely make sure if you want to learn more about soft power around women's leadership, go and see her during the break. Now, unfortunately, we are running out of time. So I'm sorry that we didn't get to those of you who still had questions, but I encourage you to go and find our panelists during the breaks, during the remaining time. Uh, I just wanted to say what a cracking start of the day this has been, and I'm sure you'll be excited. I don't think I need to give you any closing remarks because it just wouldn't do justice to the richness of this session. Thank you very much for your engagement. Thank you to the panelists. You have been listening to a podcast from the Development Policy Centre. For more information on our work, visit our website at devpolicy.anu.edu.au. To join the conversation on Australian aid, Papua New Guinea, the Pacific and global development policy, visit our blog at devpolicy.org. At the blog, you can also sign up to our newsletter to get all the latest updates, or you can connect with us on social media. Thanks for listening. <laughs>